You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke? Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. Gospel of Luke contains three different stories. One is a parable of the lost sheep. Another is the parable of uh, the story of the lost coin. And then this one that we will begin reading. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. I think the Lord would have us to read all of this. And starting in verse 11, you follow along as I read. Um, And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, My father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his outer son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I any, any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him for the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, 
thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should be make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your inspired word, Lord. I, I confess to you that I don't know how to preach this, Lord. I, I just pray that you would fill me with your Holy Ghost and give me the wisdom to skip the things that I need to skip here this evening. I pray for the hearts that are listening, Lord, that they would indeed listen with their hearts and not their minds. That we will be real with ourselves, Lord, real with you. Just be honest about what you're speaking to our hearts about here this evening. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Some call this story the story of the lost son. Some call it, most commonly, it is called the prodigal son. Some consider the last portion of Scripture that the Bible puts a good portion of the Scripture on uh, as the Pharisaical son. It categorizes one son then as the prodigal son and the other son as the Pharisaical son. And Jesus calls this the story, though, of two sons. He says a man, certain men had two sons. Most of the time when we talk about this story, we talk most about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is what dominates this, the subject of this story. However, it doesn't necessarily dominate the number of verses. There are almost as many verses, a good portion of this story, is devoted to the elder son. Jesus identifies these two sons, not as the prodigal son and the pharisaical son, but the elder son and the younger son. That's significant, but we will get to that later. When we talk about the prodigal son, indeed, there's a reason that we call him the prodigal son. A prodigal is one who spends in excess. Indeed, we find in this story that this son, this younger son, spent all that he had his entire inheritance on riotous living. And if we were to look at this story, we see that there is a father. In this father, it is clear from this story, represents the heavenly father. And since we're talking about two sons, we are not talking about a lost person and a saved person, but we are talking about two men that represent saved people, sons. You only become a son of God in Scripture whenever you, whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible talks about many of those who are sons of God. Some of them are carnal. Some of them are lukewarm. Some, some of them are cold. And some of them are hot, the book of Revelation describes us. And indeed, we have two sons. And we're going to spend, because it's necessary, a bit of time on the prodigal son going through this story. But what I really want to focus on towards the end of this message is that elder son. And a statement that sticks out in this passage of Scripture, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. 
But if we back up to verse 12, it says, And the younger of them, these two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He was asking for his inheritance. You do not receive an inheritance until the person who donates his inheritance to you has passed away. So in essence, the younger son was saying, Father, I don't need you anymore. I don't want you anymore. You are considered dead to me. As much pain as many children, many of our children have caused us, I cannot imagine one of my children saying, I would rather not have you in my life anymore. That is exactly what this younger son said. So the father, it is interesting that the father could have said no. He didn't have to say yes to this. He didn't have to grant his son's request. In fact, the very fact that his father was granting his son's request was a sacrifice The father didn't know what was going to be of tomorrow. He could have had famine in the land and completely washed out all that he had and then been, been impoverished. Yet the father, because he loved his son, just gave his request to us. And we have here a representation of who our heavenly father is. Indeed, it wasn't the father's desire to allow his son to consider him dead and give his inheritance to his son, which the Bible says that he gave it to both sons not just the younger son, but to divide his inheritance to both of his sons. He didn't have to do that. Indeed, it wasn't his, the father's desire to do that. Why would you do that? And he knew that his younger son was bent on destroying himself, yet he did it anyway. God makes it clear that he, if we are bent on self-destruction, if we are bent on walking out of the way of, the, of his will, it's very clear from this passage of Scripture and from other things that we see throughout Scripture that he will allow us to do that. You are given a free will, Christian. That free will involves you making the choice to serve your heavenly Father, to love your heavenly Father, or to reject your heavenly Father and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. The father could have said no. It wasn't his father, father's will to receive the inheritance, but he did it anyway. You know that everything ha- that happens in life is not the father's will. It's never the father's will for you to sin. It's never the father's will for you to reject him. It's always the Father's will for you to receive Him. It's always the Father's will for you to believe Him. It's always the Father's will for you to obey Him and serve Him with all of your heart and all of your life and all of your substance. We often, when we see the case of the prodigal son in our own lives, we often plead with the Father to block the way of the prodigal son. But God makes it clear that he will grant them their heart's desire. And it's interesting that this father gives to the elder, gives to the elder and gives to the younger son in a way that's rather perplexing. He does it in such a way with such humility and such temperance and such patience and such long-suffering. Indeed, our Heavenly Father allows us to make a way to sow seeds of destruction in our own lives when He could at that very moment take us out of this world. He could at that very moment cause destruction and calamity. He could at that very moment put roadblocks in our way to prevent us from going down the path that the prodigal son went down, but He doesn't. He's patient. 
He could condemn immediately, but he's long-suffering. You know, when you leave your heavenly Father to fulfill the lust of the flesh, God will often give you a means to walk away from him. Satan will often be there to supply the ways in which you can walk away from him. He doesn't want you. God does not want you to obey him out of circumstances and convenience. And we have too many Christians who aren't real about their Christianity, who aren't real about their relationship with God because they are obeying God because it's the convenient thing to do, because it's the culture of what we live in in our fundamental churches. And not because they love God, but because it's a matter of convenience and circumstance. But God wants you to prove that you love him out of the conduct of your life. He's not going to force you to obey him. He's not going to force you to love him. He's not as much concerned as to whether or not you appear like you love him, whether or not you show up to church in your suit and your tie, whether or not you sing the hymns, whether or not you read your Bible. He's not as much concerned about that as he is as whether or not you read your Bible with your heart, whether or not you sing the hymns with your heart, whether or not the reason that you come to church is to be fed with the word of God He doesn't want you to appear like you love him. He wants you to love him. Whether or not you choose to stay in the field and work, whether or not you are staying in his house and seemingly under his authority, is not as big of a concern as him as whether or not you are truly in your heart under his authority. He wants your heart to be all in for him. And if it's not, he will allow you. He will allow you room for a season to sow those seeds of destruction. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, talking about a man who had his father's wife was committing adultery, things that Paul said are even unnamed of in the Gentiles, yet we see this happening in church. And Paul says you need to cast him out of the church in order to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Not just for the destruction of the flesh, though that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. God will sometimes allow a prodigal, someone whose heart has walked away from him, he will allow the prodigal room in such a case because he wants that one to return to him, not in the outward show of actions, but in his heart. He wants to destroy the flesh on the outside, just like we see in the prodigal son, so that he can make something new on the inside, so that the spirit may be saved. It's interesting in verse 13, it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Not many days after. When we notice and we see, or when we in our own lives walk away from God as a prodigal, It's not something that, it's not a decision that happens in the whim of the moment. It is something where the seeds of discontentment and the seeds of the flesh and the seeds of the lust of the flesh were sown in that heart many, many moons before. You see, you don't just get up and walk out of the church. You don't just get up and walk out of everything that you've ever grown up in. The reason that that happens is because something, you allowed something to be sown in your heart 
a long time before. This is why it didn't take the prodigal very long to leave his father's home. Expression of sin always harbors in the heart for a while before it's actually manifested into action. The outward action of sin is simply a manifestation of the inward condition of the heart. And the inward condition of the heart is not something that happens by accident. It's not something that happens all of a sudden, but it's something that changes over time as you begin to doubt this in Scripture and as you begin to accept this. This is the road of the prodigal son. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Proverbs 7, verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youth a young man void of understanding passing through the street near to her corner. He knew exactly, this young man knew exactly where her corner was. Yet he was a man that was void of understanding and said, Oh, I can handle this. I can walk by the harlot's house and I can, I can handle it. Yet the truth is, is that young man in his heart, he was opening himself up for sin because he knew in his heart, he was lying to himself and he knew in his heart that he was going to give himself opportunity for sin. And whenever you walk down that path, young man, young lady, whenever you begin to make in your heart concessions for sin, and whenever you begin to open up and 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 throw away all standards that would protect you from sin. Whenever you begin to open yourself up and walk down that path, don't be surprised when you end up in the pits of misery and sin. It was a decision that happened not at the point whenever you just so happened to see the harlot in her house. It was a decision that you made whenever you decided to walk down the street. We don't just accidentally fall into sin. It is always something that is intentional in our own heart. It is an issue with the heart. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You don't fall into sin, Christian. You walk down the street of sin. It's interesting that the Bible says here in verse 13 that he gathered all together. You know, there's always, if you are the prodigal and you are, you are making efforts to be the prodigal, there's always something that happens in your heart and you act, it, you act and walk the walk and talk the talk for a little while, but then eventually you leave your homeland and you gather all together. It says he gathered all together. There's always effort and intention involved in leaving the Lord. You don't just do it on accident. And it says that he went into a far country. Indeed, this is a representation of how when we are away from the Lord, we want to be as far away from this book as possible. We don't want to hear godly music. We don't want to engage in prayer. We don't want to be around God's people. And we certainly don't want to be around our pastor because his very presence brings conviction to our hearts. It 
It's interesting that we always in our heart want to find ways to avoid, whenever we are the prodigal, situations that would bring guilt, situations that would bring conviction over the people that we are hurting and over our sin. Because we want to continue to exist in our sin and be comfortable. Therefore, the prodigal, he could not waste his substance in riotous living in this homeland. He needed to remove himself from everything that he ever grew up in. He needed to remove himself from the pressure of the guilt. And he needed to remove himself from those who would look and long after him with heart-sick eyes and heartbroken eyes over his leaving away. He wanted to leave the eye contact of his father. He didn't want his father to see. He went into a far country where his father couldn't see his riotous living. He wasted his substance with riotous living. Jude 1.4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. When you turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, you see, the grace of God, that is God's free gift to you, your free gift of salvation, something that you receive that you do not deserve, when you receive that, that ought not to teach you to dwell in the flesh. Your eternal security in Christ ought not to teach you to live a life full of full of lust and concupiscence and, and all sorts of passions and, passions and desires of the world. But the Bible says that the grace of God ought to teach us to deny ungodliness. Yet he turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. He said, I'm going to turn the grace of my heavenly Father for giving me all of my inheritance. I'm going to turn this into all that he poured into me and all that he sought after to do that which was good for me. I'm going to turn this and I'm going to spend it for riotous living. It was a slap in the face to his Father. It was an insult to his Father. And every time you and I say, when we say and turn the grace, grace of God into lasciviousness, whenever we make statements in our heart and say, I'll sin and ask forgiveness later, what we do is we bring insult to the name of God. We bring insult to the name of his grace. We, like those that are mentioned in Jude 1, 4, we deny the only Lord God in those moments and our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we say, I will never deny Jesus. Yeah, Peter said the same thing on the night that Jesus was taken and betrayed and then crucified the next day. Peter said, I will never deny thee. And Jesus says, you will deny me. And you and I, every single time we reject the counsel of his word, we are in our very essence denying him. When we leave the protective fold of God, when we leave our Father's presence, we are acting as if a judging God doesn't exist. We are acting as if our Heavenly Father 
no longer exists. The son considered his father to be dead. And we act as if we do not know him. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lust of concupiscence, that is, excessive sexual desire or an irregular appetite for worldly goods. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Paul is preaching to us. He's saying to us that you and I ought to be able to. We have the power and we should never live a life. We should never live a life to fulfill the lusts and desires of the flesh. We should never live a life to look like the Gentiles in the world who have no knowledge of God. When you have a knowledge of God and you've been redeemed and you are a child of God, you are a son of God, and God you know has died on the cross and was buried and rose again and that he lives inside of you and has given you a life forevermore and you should then never with such knowledge, with such deep and spiritual and eternal knowledge, you should never live your life as the world that don't even know God. And then we see as this man in verse 14 and when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in wants. God allowed him to spend his substance on riotous living for a time, but it was only for a time, and a mighty famine happened. You know, often you and I, we look at mighty famines, we look at the courses of nature and the things that happened around us, and we pray that those things wouldn't happen, but then they happen anyway. And so often we look at this and say, why such destruction? And sometimes we even get to the point where we question the goodness of God. But God is saying right here, he's saying, I am such a good God and such a loving heavenly father that I have a concern for just this one soul. Just this one soul, I'm going to allow and create a mighty famine to occur to bring this man to his wit's end to where he has nothing so that he can be brought to an environment and a condition where he can repent and turn to me. You understand when calamities happen, when bad things happen, there are always reasons for it beyond our understanding. It is always there to bring us closer to God. It is always there to bring others closer to God. That's always the intention. God is always, as a loving Heavenly Father, always trying to bring in the lost into His fold. And He's always trying to bring His lost children, His children who have denied Him and ran away from Him. He's always trying to bring them closer to Him. Indeed, He enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasures of sin are always short-lived, and they always cause you to end up empty. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. This man one joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would have filled his belly with husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Indeed, in this time of famine, God gave him space to repent. 
For quite some time, the prodigal son looked around his home and became dissatisfied. Many years or months before, he watched the world walk by and thought he saw something that they had that he didn't have, and he wanted what they had. He looked off into the yonder sunset, and his imaginations ran wild of how much fuller and how much happier a person could be who if they would just enjoy the drink and just enjoy the drugs and just enjoy the music and just enjoy the entertainment and the merriment and the desires of the flesh, the lust and the sexual desires of all the flesh. Oh, if I could only do that for a season, that would make me fuller and happier. Yet the Bible says he began to want that he realized that after all of this, and he saw the painted faces on those who were filling their lives up with the lusts of the world, yet were empty inside and had no hope for eternity. Oh, I wish our teenagers would believe this, what I'm about to say. I wish our college and career would accept this. I wish the husband who's dabbled in pornography this past month would get this. I wish the wife whose dream of Prince Charming came crashing down after marriage. The wife who is comparing her husband to a fantasy or to others. To the woman or man who's not finding satisfaction in his marriage and wishes for divorce. I wish you would take what I'm about to say as a testament of fact, not because I say it, but because Jesus say it. And it is saying that to you today Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life you are empty I am the bread of life not your husband not your wife not the lust and the desires of this world not knowledge I am the bread of life Jesus Christ says he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never first thirst you look off into the world and you see such merriment and you see such joy and you look around yourself and you see how you're not having any fun yet the fact is is that they are empty and you have the fullness of God inside and all that you need to do is feed off the living bread and the living water and you shall never hunger if you feed off of Jesus Christ. You shall never thirst if you feed off of the words in this blessed book and just believe them and live them. He came to himself and then he speaks these words of repentance. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You notice that there's no blame casting in this confession. He's not saying that it was my brother's fault. My brother just would have been nicer to me. You see, when we include those in our confessions, we're not really sorry. We're casting the blame on somebody else. You notice that he's not making any excuses. Oh, if you just would have given me more love, Father. He's not making any excuses. All the blame is on him. You notice also that there's always action in repentance. Revenge your disobedience, Paul says. 
When you've been disobedient and you come to yourself, the Bible makes it very clear that you don't just confess it to God, but then you turn from that and you run to Jesus and you then take those things that were corrupting you and were distorting your view of life and you cast them away from you and then you look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, the one who began your faith and will continue your faith to live in you a life that is more full and abundant life. Notice that the father saw him in verse 19. He was looking, he was praying, he was waiting, he was hoping, he was expecting. And dear Christian, when we are away from God, God is looking for us to return. He's looking off into the sunset and hoping for us to return. He's expecting us to return. He's waiting for us to return. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice in verses 21 and 22 that the son had something prepared to say, but he didn't say all of what he prepared to say. Father arose to him. He saw him a great way off. His father kissed him. He had compassion. He ran. He fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. And he doesn't say, make me as one of thy hired servants. I don't know if the father interrupted him. I don't know if as he was uttering these words out of his mouth, he realized how wrong he was to ever acknowledge or desire that. Maybe he stopped cold in his tracks, realizing that he doesn't have a right. He never did, never will, to recommend to his father what his punishment should be. Notice also, that once you're a son, you're always a son. He says, make me one of your hired servants. You can hire a servant and you can fire a servant. But when you are a child of God, God will never fire you because he's never hired you. He's adopted you and you will forevermore be his son. It doesn't matter how far you roam away. It doesn't matter if you're in the pig's squalor. It doesn't matter if you're spending your substance in riotous living. If you are a child of God, you will always be a child of God. He calls you his son, and you will always forevermore be his son. We never cease to be his son. Puts on him the best robe. They began to be merry. And we call this man the prodigal son, but God calls him the younger son. You know, it's interesting that we so often want to look at the negatives in a story, but this is a son who spended his substance away and then was closer to his father than his elder brother. The Bible, we look at the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible doesn't mention the drunkenness of Noah, just that he became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. It doesn't mention the lying and conniving of Abraham because he didn't believe God, but just that he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It doesn't mention the fact that Sarah was noted also with this conniving and laughing at the promises of God, but was thus commended, she judged him faithful who had promised. 
And you and I so often in our critical spirits, in our critical negative mind, always looking to cast judgment on other people, we look at that and we scratch our heads and say, why is it that God only saw the positive there and he didn't see the mistakes that Noah made, the mistakes that Abraham made, and the mistakes that Sarah made. And he has this hall of faith of these men and these women who believe God, yet we have, we have circumstances and evidence that they didn't believe God you know, I'm so thankful that God isn't as critical, judgmental, and condemning as I am. We like to highlight the wrongdoings when, in fact, this younger son became closer to the father than the elder brother who stayed in his father's field, the Bible says. The fact is, is that most of our churches aren't filled with the prodigal son because the prodigal son goes into the far country. Most of our churches are filled with this other son, the elder son. The elder son, the Bible says, was in the field. He was busy about his father's business, but he didn't have the heart of his father. Verse number 20 it indicates, it demonstrates the heart of his father. It says that his father was looking off yonder, looking for his son to return. But where was the elder son? He wasn't looking for his younger brother. In fact, when his younger brother came, he, he was angry. He was jealous. He was envious. Where was this elder son? Why wasn't he by his father? Why wasn't he looking at the things his father was looking for? Why wasn't he loving the things that his father was loving? Why wasn't he hating the things that his father hated? Oh, he was busy. It was apparent that he was serving his father. And so many of us, it is apparent that we're serving God. We show up to church we sing the hymns, we read our Bibles, we're involved in soul winning, we are involved in teaching Sunday school class, we're involved in the bus ministry, we are involved, we are working in his field. Yet the fact is, is that so many of us who are working in his field, who are doing the works of God, are not in fact in touch with the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father is off in a distance and he's looking for the souls of men, yet, yet we're busy about the ministry, but we don't have the heart of the ministry. He calls one of his servants and asks, what's this all about? You know, it's amazing that all of this is going on. The servants are merry. The servants are rejoicing about the son who was lost and now found. The son who was dead and is now alive. The Bible says that all these servants and everybody was making merry. And the son doesn't find out, the elder son doesn't find out until quite a time later. Because he wasn't near his father. He was bitter and envious. He identified him as thy son instead of my brother. It's interesting that the father came out to the elder son and entreated him. He didn't reject this pharisaical elder son. He didn't reject him, but he entreated him. He pleaded with him. He said, what's, what's this son? As this son was pitching a fit, The son says, I did this. Oh, lo, these many years I served thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. My first thought is, yeah, right. But you know, we, we can have the appearance on the outside of not transgressing God's commandment, but we can be full of wickedness on the inside. 
And this elder son who didn't have the heart of his father was very obviously as this bitterness and this hate for his younger brother comes out. He was very obviously far from his father and his heart was filled with wickedness. Doest thou well to be angry? He says, you make, you've never even given me a kid. All that I have is thine. Thou art ever with me. Jesus is ever with you. He's in your heart. You're in the church. You're singing the hymns. You're in your Bible. All that, all that he has is, is yours. He's always with you. All that you have, all that he has is yours. You could have slain the fatted calf at any time, the father's saying, yet you chose not to because you were never about my heart. You were never with me. You never loved the things that I loved and hated the things that I hated. It was all just a show. It was all just formalism. It was all a part of the culture of Christianity, and it wasn't the real deal. All that I have is thine. I see in Proverbs, in chapter 8, it says, Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than gold. Yet this elder son, he desired honor and substance rather than instruction and knowledge. He wanted to be celebrated. He didn't want his younger son to be celebrated. In verse 14, it says, counsel is mine. God says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Yeah, you and I, we compartmentalize God right out of our lives. We, we, God is for opening our Bible, and he's for coming to church. Uh, he's for Sundays, and he's for Wednesdays, but going to work, I, I got this handled. Uh, I have a problem. Maybe I can find on the Internet an answer and a solution. God is saying, if you have questions, you have heartaches, you have problems, listen, come to me. I am counsel. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. Don't look at the wisdom of the world. Look at the wisdom that I've pro provided for you in this book. I will guide you. The problem is, Christian, is that you and I, we compartmentalize God into the things that we call spiritual things when, in fact, God wants to be a part of every single part of our lives. He wants to be part of your grocery list. When you have a sickness and an ailment, instead of going to God, who is the great physician, you go to some physician that's going to probably hurt you more than help you. Whenever you have a money problem, instead of asking God, you go to the bank and you can read all day long that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the fact is, is that he owns the hills and the gold and the silver underneath those hills and if you have a problem God can deliver you from them in his time if he desires to and if he doesn't desire you to then that is your suffering and that is what you have to go through but my soul Christian God wants to you to be part of his life he doesn't just want you to be out there working in the field as the elder son did he doesn't just want you to be out working for him and doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. He wants you very near to him. He wants you in the same place as him. He wants your heart, Christian. 
And he wants your heart, not just when you open up this Bible, and not just when you sing these hymns, and not just when you come to church. He wants your heart at every moment of the day. He wants to be your personal friend, Christian. You have that opportunity, and it is so foolish of us to go throughout our daily lives and have this issue to come up and this issue to come up and know that God is sound wisdom and know that he possesses all the wisdom and understanding and know that his knowledge is infinite, yet we don't even ask him. Shame on us. The problem with us today is that too many of us are like the elder brother. We have a show of works in Christianity, but our relationship with the Father isn't real. We're still under his house. We're still seeming to serve him, but we don't even know him. We can quote scripture of who he is and his omnipotence, but we evidence that in our doubts of lack of faith for this thing and that thing, and our, our, we don't even ask him for counsel. We show that we really don't believe those things. Whenever we go to the internet to solve our problem, whenever we go to the bank to solve our problem, whenever we first look to other people rather than the one who already knew your problem existed before you ever existed, So what is it, Christian? Is it that you think that if you ask him, you won't get an answer? I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. That's a promise from Scripture, right here in Proverbs chapter 8. Oh, you might not get the answer that you want. You might not get the answer as quickly as you want. But he's the only one that has the right answer. You believe that he's good? That he loves you? And that he's wise? So then he's not a liar, and if you ask him, if you seek him with your whole heart, with a pure heart, then isn't he good enough to give you the answers? And it may not be as quickly as you want it to be. It might take a little bit longer than you want it to take. All that I have is thine. You're ever with me, and all that I have is thine. The sad thing about it is that I believe I, myself included, we're going to stand before the judgment seat, and we're going to see how much our lack of faith and our lack of involving God in every single, even what we consider the menial and the minute things of our life, how we don't involve him in those things and how things could have been much better for us. And how we could have seen so much greater things for the glory of God if we would have just included him in our work, in our family, in our finances. He wants to be a friend to you. He wants to be a personal God to you. 
The problem isn't on his end, Christian. It is on our end. The issue isn't that God isn't good. The issue isn't that God is sitting off into the heavens somewhere ignoring us or not willing to help us or not wanting to help us. He's wanting and he's willing. The problem is, is that we don't want his help and we're not willing to wait for his help. We're not willing to submit ourselves underneath his authority. We're not willing to love the things that he loves and hates the, hate the things that he hates. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. The prodigal son. The younger son. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered, I go, sir, and what not. the elder son. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believe him, believe him and ye, when you had, it, had seen it, repented not afterwards that ye might believe him. God has offered so much to us. And the travesty, the shame of it, is that some of us are going to get to the end of our lives. The Heavenly Father is going to say to us, all that I have is thine. Why didn't you just take it? Why didn't you just take my wisdom? You lacked strength. Why didn't you just take my power? You thought that you could do the ministry through your own flesh. Why did you include me in your ministry? You failed again and again in your flesh to fight sin. Why, why didn't you just include me in that? I, I was in your heart for a reason. The Holy Ghost was there for a reason. Why didn't you? All that I have is thine. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.